Herman is filmed in front of a live studio audience. I, I have been waiting a month to make that joke. I'm not even. <laughs> I thought it up, and I've been I've been holding on to it, and and just just ready to break it out. And so that was a that was a high point for me. My my day's over. Everybody go home. It's <laughs> um, I, I have a painting actually I wanted to share. This uh, this is a painting I I was reading this week and I came across this interesting little tidbit. This is a fella. Um, it was painted by a fellow named Adolf. Menzel. He was a German painter, an 18th century German painter. And the guy in the middle that you can't see is Frederick the Great. Um, what happened was he was commissioned by Frederick the Great to paint this, this like really inspiring portrait of him right before they, they rushed into this glorious battle. And he's standing around addressing his generals. Those are all the guys standing around or all the generals. And what happened was Menzel set out to paint it and he sketched all of it first, and that spot right there, the big white spot, the, the Frederick the Great spot, is a chalk or is a uh, charcoal outline. Um, and, and so he started from the outside, and he painted all the different generals and all the different reactions, and he was going to paint Frederick last, but he died. And so <laughs> this like would have been his masterwork, the greatest thing he ever produced, about halfway through, or well, 90% of the way through painting it, he up and died and didn't finish it. Um, but it's actually hanging in, in uh, the big art museum in Berlin. I don't remember the name of it because my German is absolutely terrible. Um, but I, I'm starting with this, and watch this. This is important. We're going to be looking at the second half of, uh, of uh, John 21 at, at the end of this little section, the last account we have of Christ and Peter interacting. And um, there's something important we're going to find in that, and that is that, like, like Christ gives Peter these instructions, and the instructions are very specific, and it's all about how he should focus the rest of his life. And it, it literally is the most important bit of information he's going to get. Like, it is, this is your job, this is your life, go and do it. And um, he spent the rest of his life focused on that, aiming at that goal um, as the most important thing. A lot of times we live our lives focused on things that are not the most important thing. Um, the most important thing for all of us is Christ. And it's really easy to live our lives paying attention to all of these little details and the things that catch our interest or draw our attention today or that we're angry about or we're suddenly enjoying this new thing in our lives or whatever. And we get so focused on everything else that we forget about Christ and we reach the end. And I've met people like this who spend their whole lives chasing after one detail or another, even like the religious stuff, but not Christ himself. And they get to the end and Christ is not a part of the picture. Um, and it's an easy place to end up. It is an easy place to end up because there's so many things to pay attention to. Um, and we're going to get into that a little more in depth. But remember, like, like we're talking about filling in the picture of our lives with the most important bits first, right? We're talking about making Christ our objective, making Christ our, our goal, our target. Um, this series is The Road to Calvary and beyond, actually, because before Easter or Good Friday, we did The Road to Calvary. And now we're going beyond it, and we're looking at the last appearances of Christ before the ascension. Um, we've looked at a whole bunch of different stuff. Last week, the most important one, like, like we've looked at the first appearance on Easter Sunday. We did that on Easter Sunday. 
Um, then we did the second appearance, and we talked about, like, which is in the upper room, and that was actually still on Easter Sunday, but it was in the evening. And we talked about all of the stuff surrounding that, some of the interesting little tidbits, the, the significance of the resurrection. Um, we looked at the beginning of John 21, when Christ shows up and talks to, or well, just shows up and replicates the miracle of the miraculous catch. And, and um, it's this point in time where Peter, like, is, is presented with, sort of a mirror of his life, where when he first encountered Christ, Christ said to him, you know, Christ performs this miracle, and they catch all this fish, and Peter says, get away from me, I'm a sinful man. You know, don't, you don't need to have me as a part of your life, because and, and, I'm, I'm too evil to be close to God. And then at the end, Peter, having rejected Christ, having denied him three times, like, like having run away um, in the hour of need, um, Peter um, sees Christ again and just runs to him. Doesn't try to walk on water, doesn't call him to come to him, doesn't say, get away from me, I'm a sinner. He runs to Christ because Christ is the priority. He is our only salvation. He is our only hope. So now we're going to talk about the conversation. Really quick, most important detail here. This is the first time Peter and Christ had a one-on-one conversation after um, he denies him. And he denied him three times. He swore up and down at the Last Supper. Jesus said, well... You know, what are you going to do? He said, well, I would never deny you. I would never, ever run away. I'll go to, I'll go to my death with you. I will, I will walk to the cross with you. And Jesus says, well, I'm going to guarantee you before the rooster crows three times, you're going to deny me. And you're going to deny me three times. You're going to swear you don't even know me. And, and, of course, that happened. Peter, you know, goes to the trial of Christ. John gets him in. And, and then he denies him and, and runs away weeping. Um, and now he's gone back to um, he's gone back home, and he is fishing with the other disciples. And they catch this miraculous catch. He swims to shore. They eat breakfast together, and we pick up in twenty one fifteen. Can anybody else hear the rain? Anybody remember that Sunday when it rained so hard you couldn't hear me anymore? All right. <laughs> Not that I'm saying that's going to happen, but I'm I'm a little nervous. Um, John 21:15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, "Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these?" "Yes, Lord," he said. "You know that I love you." And Jesus said, "Feed my lambs." So he swam to shore, and instead of having this face-to-face confrontation, this "Oh, I screwed up," Jesus feeds him, and then he he turns around and he says to him, "Peter, do you love me?" Now there's something hidden in this um, that's hidden by language, and Uh, there's kind of two ways to take it, okay? Um, Do you love me more than these? Love there, the word is agapeo, right? And traditionally, agapeo is like a selfless love. Like if you treat Greek as an exact language, this is selfless love. It is sacrificial love. It is the love that God has for his people. It's the love that Christ demonstrates on the cross. So like, do you love me more than these? Do you agapeo? me more than these he's asking him do you love me selflessly do you love me absolutely now mind you you flashback like a week and a half peter steps up and brags right i would die with you i would do anything i would you know go to any length and in fact when christ was arrested he pulled out a sword and attacked a guy like he was really wound up but anything didn't mean going and getting crucified not at the moment. Um, and so he was quick to brag before, and now Peter is put on the spot. 
Do you love me? Do you agapeo me more than these? Um, more than these, uh, um, there's a lot of opinions about what these is referring to. Um, probably the best way to read it, because he could be talking about all the fishing gear, or he could be talking about, do you love the other disciples more than you love me? But probably what he's saying is, um, do you love me most of everybody in this group? Right? So there are all 11 of you left standing here talking to me. Do you love me more than the other guys love me? And this is Peter's, like, sweet spot, man. He knows how to blow his own horn. He is all about telling him how he is the biggest, the best, the smartest, the fastest, the favorite, the this, the that. And Peter says, uh, which, by the way, Again, here we have a mirror, right? Like before he bragged, I would die with you. And now he's saying, do you really love me more than the rest of these guys do? And Peter responds, yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Now, here's the tricky part. Love, same word as in the previous like sentence. Love here is phileo, right? Phileo. I'm pronouncing it wrong. I don't care. Um, it's the word for love in Greek that refers to friendship. It is a much less emphatic word than agapeo. Um, He's saying, yes, I am your friend. You are my friend. I love you like this. He's not bragging. He's not swearing by his allegiance. He's not puffing himself up. He's not throwing himself out there. This is a much more humble Peter than, than the Peter we ran into, what, two chapters ago. Because Peter blew it, right? Peter thought he was all that, and he's not, and he can't be, and he knows he's a failure, and he knows he's screwed up, and he's standing before, like, like he's standing before God, and he can't brag. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. This is the mission he is giving Peter. I want to point out, feed is a verb. It is not a noun. He is not saying pastor. He is not saying Lee, or he's not saying, you know, he's not giving him directions as to what he's supposed to be. He's giving him directions about what he's supposed to do. This is the thing I need you to do, Peter. Feed my lambs. Take care of my people. You know, if you love me, you will do this. Um, goes on. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Love agapeo. Do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Love, phileo, friend. Again, a softer version of it. Now, it's possible that this is a variation that John is using for no, you know, just because. Like, as we know that John will sometimes vary words in paragraphs. It's a pattern he uses. And so there may not be significance to it. Um, I tend to disagree for this specific reason. Um, He's making a different statement than Jesus is. Jesus is asking, do you love me selflessly? And he says, of course you know I'm your friend. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Again, emphasizing what's the most important thing. You love me, you take care of my people. You take care of the people that I died for. You lead the folks that I poured my blood out for. Like the people I carried their sins, you love them. This is the most important thing. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? This time, Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you phileo me? And so Jesus softens his word to say it at Peter's level. To draw out the fact that Peter's like, 
downplaying his affection for Christ. Like Peter's humiliated. Peter is brought low before like like the greatest thing that ever happened in his life. He's in a lot of ways I think he's blessed. One of the best things that ever happened to me as a believer was when I absolutely screwed up my life and the lives of just about everyone around me. And I had to go around and apologize to people I hadn't seen in years who had like mistreated me badly um, because I had gossiped about them and been, you know, um, not loving. And I had to go and confess sins to people that they didn't know I'd committed or who, you know, where, where I, I was humbled in it. Like it was awful. But at the same time, it was amazing because it's only when we're really humble that we can know how amazing God's grace is for us. Confession is awful. It's painful. It is miserable. But acknowledging our imperfection puts us in a spot where we need Christ. And Peter is in that spot. He needs Christ. And he needs the grace that's being provided. And so as Christ is talking to him, he says, Peter, are you my friend? And Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things and you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. And so Peter is hurt because of three times. Why does that hurt him? Well, he denied Christ three times. And Jesus is very clearly putting his finger on that button. Hey, you denied me. But he's restoring him. He's basically saying, hey, I know you love me. Here's your job. Go out and feed my sheep. Go out and take care of my people. Go out and, and take care of the ones I died for. Feed my sheep. Again, very specific. Do this. Don't be this. Don't believe this. Don't do this song and dance. Don't give this amount of money. Take care of my people. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will, be, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, Follow me. So now, Jesus says, listen, I'm going to tell you the truth. You blew it. You had the opportunity to die with me, and you didn't. And I told you you wouldn't, and you didn't believe me. You decided to brag. And here you are, humbled before me, and I'm going to tell you the truth. When you were young, you know, now that you're a young man, you have this freedom. You'll do what you want. You'll go where you want. You'll act how you want. This is the life you live. And, like, we all kind of experience that, right? We get to do what we want when... when um, when we're young. Um, when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands. Now, here's an interesting little phrase. Stretch out your hands. And there's some controversy about this reading. I am echoing like crazy. Is there any way to fix that? Oh. Should I talk louder? <laughs> the, uh, there's a, a very funny way that this is like, like playing out. The, maybe turn this monitor off right here. I won't be able to hear me. Um, Stretch out your hands is a phrase that's used in the ancient world to refer to crucifixion. They will stretch out your hands. It means to be crucified. And we know through uh, early church sources that Peter was crucified um, under Nero uh, during the great wave of persecution. And like what would typically happen when you were crucified, and most folks assume this is probably how Christ was crucified, they would tie you to a cross member. 
and you would carry it to where you were going, and then they would lift you up or what have you, like you would carry a piece of it. And so probably it is the case that Peter's hands were tied to the cross member of the cross, and he was forced to carry it somewhere he didn't want to go, and then he was crucified there. Um, not the strongest of sources, but the early church um, fathers tells us, it's a little on the later side, that Peter was crucified upside down. He was brought to be crucified, and he, whoa, <laughs> and he, uh, and he said, it's not, I'm not worthy to die in the way of my, my Lord died. And so they crucified him upside down, which would have been extremely painful. It would have been much worse than a normal crucifixion. Um, but he basically tells Peter, hey, right now, you're going to take care of yourself. You're going to do what you, you want to do. You're going to follow me or not follow me. But when you're old, you're not going to have a choice about this. And you're going to get a second shot at this, like, death for me thing. It is coming. And, and Peter did die for Christ, and he did glorify God in his death. Um, but then he said to him, and watch this, follow me. This is an easy thing to paint over or to brush over really quickly. Um, and here's why. Because, um, like most of the discussion surrounding this, people will say, well, what does he mean by follow me? Did he start walking? Is he talking to John? Maybe he's telling John to come along. Did he... But I don't think it's that because if you flash all the way back to the very first time that Peter was called by Christ, um, Christ said to him, like he has him catch these miraculous, you know, miraculous catch and the boat is sinking. Peter turns and says, oh, my goodness, I'm a sinful man. Get away from me. I'm horrible. I'm horrible. Get away. And Jesus says, Peter, you know, follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. And that phrase, follow me right, is a play on how Jewish rabbis would call followers. It was a huge deal to become um, a student of a rabbi. In Jewish culture in the first century, to be a student of a rabbi, to be a rabbi is like being in the NBA, right? I mean, these guys are revered. Everybody looks up to them. If you have them over for dinner, everybody's jealous. I mean, they are heroes in their culture. To be a student of a rabbi was impossible to accomplish. And like 99% of the people who tried didn't get there. Peter is one of the 99% of the people who tried and flunked out (laughs) and got sent off to be a fisherman. And in this particular instance, what Jesus said to him, he said, hey, follow me. And by saying that, he emulated the way that you would ask a rabbi, you would ask a rabbi, can I follow you? Can I learn from you? Because rabbis would walk and teach, and you would learn by following them. And so Jesus said to him, instead of Peter asking, he says, hey, follow me. It's a huge honor. And now he's on the other side. He's demonstrated he's pretty sinful, right? I mean, like, he's really nailed it this time. He's humiliated. He's brought low. He, he isn't sure he's going to be called back. He tried to go back to fishing as a profession. And what does Jesus say to him? Same thing he said when he started. Follow me. Because the calling didn't disappear. The calling didn't go away just because Peter blew it. Um, And that's the amazing thing about the God that we serve. The God that we serve loves us when we're unlovable. He loves us better than our own fathers love us. Um, He loves us. Um, to the point that he would send his son to die for us. He loves us um, enough to, to turn the entire creation on end, plan the course of history to redeem us. Um, he loves us so much and watches over us so carefully that not a hair can fall from our head without his will being a part of it. Like, it is a huge deal. And in the end, he didn't blow it forever. He's forgiven, he's reinstated, and he gets the same calling, follow me. 
So last week we looked at the fact that Peter's response was, I need Jesus. He's in a storm. His life is broken. And he says, I need Jesus. And the very first thing that Jesus says to him is, you got work to do. You, you have a job to get done. You know, you're forgiven. You're back with me. You're still on the team. I still love you. Here's your grace that comes like, and that is unlimited grace. Like, here it is. It is yours. But you got work to do. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Take care of my people. And then there's a day coming you're going to die for me. You're going to get your hands stretched out on a cross and you will die for me. Because we go from, I need Jesus more than anything else, to, I have a new set of priorities I have to live by. And it's very easy to forget that those priorities are everything. They are what we live for. It is what we aim at. And it's easy to forget because I have toys to buy. I got work to get done, right? I'm not a farmer. I thank God that I get to work for farmers because you guys are awesome. But, like... How many of y'all are itching at the fact that you got to pour out, you know, seed and spray and get all of this other stuff done? There's always stuff to do, right? There's always something else to get done. There's always some other project. There's always some other kid thing that I got to do at my house. I got to teach this. I got to play with this one. I got to take this one out for dinner. I got to do this. There's always something else. And if we're not careful, what we end up doing is we chase after everything but what Christ told us to chase after. And we end up at the end with this beautiful painting and right in the middle is a big empty white spot where Jesus is supposed to be. He says, do the work I've given you. Feed my sheep. And actually, if you go elsewhere, he ends uh, at the end of the book of Matthew is the Great Commission as he's ascending. He says, listen, um, go forth into every nation, preach the gospel, make disciples, baptize, like go out and share it. Tell people about this. This is our job, guys. Follow Jesus. Not, oh, I accepted Jesus and now I'm hanging out. Oh, I said a prayer at some point in time in my life and so I got all those boxes checked. Oh, I guess I sort of know what I believe and I'm going to, you know, just just basically do enough. You know, well, I'm not, I'm not trying to be perfect. I'm just trying to get into heaven, right? Like, we're called to follow him. We're saved so that we can follow him. I'm going to finish out the book just because I want to. Um, Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? And Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me because of this. The rumor spread among the believers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I wanted him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? And so basically Peter starts looking around. And Peter, whose job it is in life to say the wrong thing, right? That's me. I don't know if anybody else falls into this. The very first thing he says is, well, wait a minute. If I'm supposed to feed the sheep and I'm supposed to follow you and I'm going to get crucified, what about that guy? What's going to happen to him? (laughs) And Jesus said, it's just none of your business. You do your thing. Because Peter's immediate inclination is to start looking at the sides of the painting and say, well, what about, right? But he's more focused than he was before because 
before, he was only focused on, I'm the best disciple, guys. I'm it. You know, I'm, I'm the one who walked on water. I sank, but I did do it. I'm the one who will go to the cross of Jesus. I'm the one who did this. He's the loudest. He's the most boisterous. He's the most energetic. He's the ready, fire, aim guy. Like, like he is that guy. And now he's not saying that. He's not saying any of that. But he is asking dumb questions. His focus is tightened, but it's not quite there. John did die eventually. John is the only one of the disciples who died of natural causes. He's the only one who died uh, in prison, admittedly. Um, But he did die of natural causes. Everybody else was either crucified or skinned alive or uh, cut into little pieces or stoned to death or what have you. Like all of them died badly, except the one guy who was willing to die with Jesus on the cross. He followed him and was willing to die then, and he went all the way to the end and died of natural causes. Crazy enough. Um, Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them was written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have enough room for the books that would be written. And John ends. Um, what do we do with that? Honestly, I think that the, post-resur- or the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus give us this great, like, tight view of a couple of very important things, um, in particular for Peter. And I, I kind of identify with Peter. I'm, I'm the guy who does dumb stuff, right? I'm the guy who doesn't think carefully, and I shoot off my mouth too quick. And, I, you know, my wife is beaming back there at my acknowledgement. Um, I'm that guy. Um, But in Peter's instance, we know the resurrected Christ is the only thing that makes it all okay. It's the only thing that makes it right. You can buy toys forever. You can have the most successful business. You can have the prettiest kids who do better than everyone else or the most popular and everything else. You can have the best reputation. You can be the best looking, the best, you know, the most fit, the, the top of your field, the... All of those things, but if the middle of the painting is missing, if at the center of your life there's a big empty spot and Christ isn't there, you're done. You missed it. You did everything but what was important. We have all of this time right now. Most of us are sitting. We can't go anywhere. We can't do anything. We can't have anyone over. We're really limited in what we can do. Um, except for watch YouTube, apparently. Um, <laughs> we're, we have time. This is this huge blessing that we have that we can back up and ask. We can ask serious questions. We can look and say, where are my priorities? What am I aiming at? Am I, am I looking at the most important stuff in life? Am I feeding his sheep? Like, do my kids know... Um, Every, I'm going to use my own self as an example. Do my kids know everything about Star Wars, but nothing about who Jesus is? Um, does my wife not look at me and see like somebody trying to imitate Jesus? Does my husband not look at me and see the bride of Christ? Like, do, like, like who are we? Are we living aimed at the objective of being who Christ called us to be? Are we feeding the sheep around us? Are we searching out the lost sheep that are, that are dying to know Christ? Um, are we focused on everything but the most important parts? Um, my challenge to you is to use this time to look and figure it out. What are you living for? Um, I keep hearing people say this phrase, and I, I want to scream every time I hear it. Nothing will ever be the same after this. 
We'll never go back to normal. It'll never be. And like, maybe, maybe not. But I want to challenge you, if encountering the risen Lord has not made it so everything is no longer the same, so you can never go back, so you can never be a fisherman again, so you can never, you know, be the bragging one who says you're the best, so you can never be lost in the wrong focus instead of on Christ. Like, if encountering the risen Lord has never changed you and made it so nothing will ever be the same, like, slow down and get there. Jump off the boat and swim for sure. Like, get there. Nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. To close in prayer and I'll let you go. I have not been watching the clock, so I don't know how long I've been talking. And I'm not sorry. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would, uh, we would be a family of believers who are characterized, who are, are known by everyone who encounters us as people who filled in Christ at the middle of who we are, um, people who are imitating Christ in everything they do, um, people who chase after you in our thoughts, word, and deed, People who, like when they meet us, they know Jesus a little more just by talking to us or, or seeing us share grace with the folks around us. I pray, Lord, that you would make us into people who prioritize you above all else. Help us to feed your sheep. Help us to follow you in everything. In Christ's name, amen. Have a good Sunday. I can't shake hands. <laughs>